having specific tasks and end goals in mind from the start is always a North Star. So part of it is knowing what am I trying to do here? And it's, it's so simple. It's just, I'm trying to get results for these clients. Welcome to the Happy Clients Podcast, brought to you by Dot & Company, the world's best and only team of client account managers for digital marketing agencies. Whether you're a virtual assistant, an agency owner, or a client-facing account manager, we all deal with clients. Lucky for you, client management is what we do best. On the Happy Clients Podcast, we won't shy away from the ups and downs of managing clients in the agency world, but we'll be right there alongside you to learn together and share the real juicy stuff we'll undoubtedly face when it comes to client management. Now, let's dig in. Chat cam life and have some fun along the way. Here's the happy client. Paul, you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, sweet. Today we have Paul Casimus here, media buyer extraordinaire and also podcaster with the Brain Awake podcast, The Business of Being. Paul, welcome so much. We're happy to have you. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so we thought it would be so great to kind of have the media buying side represented on our podcast. We immediately thought of Paul and reached out. He was excited to kind of share his genius and hop on board. So today we're going to talk everything media buying, how it relates to clients and agencies, and maybe Paul, you'll give us a little insight on how that all looks for you and a lot of media buyers. Yeah, sounds great. So why don't you first start by telling us about your background, Paul, and how you got to become a media buyer? Because I know your background is quite unique as well. So tell us about you. Sure. Yeah. The, the short bio is, um, you know, I was teaching for a couple of years and then actually started a business. Uh, I'm based in Richmond, Virginia. So I started a, a popsicle business called King of Pops, which I ran for six years and that was fantastic, a lot of fun, because I just knew like business was my jam. Uh, as much as I love teaching and interacting with people, I was like, man, I can't, I can't be teaching the rest of my life. So it was towards the end of that kind of stretch where I felt like I'd hit sort of a plateau of what I could do with the business and all that. You know, I was getting those efficiencies where I was working just a little bit with a huge output and it was fantastic, but I just wanted to be challenged more and kind of get to that next stage professionally and, you know, did a lot of social media and a little bit of advertising. I mean, this was probably back in like 2015, 16, which is like still, I think, early days of Facebook ads, but I just found the concept to be very, very cool and uh, knew that's kind of where the direction I wanted to go with it. And that's how I stumbled into the Cat Howl community, uh, getting some of her early, like low end products and eventually going through the Academy and, and now her mastermind. Um, so just learning that whole process of marketing buyer's journey, how that relates to ads and how that relates to copywriting and knowing your market and your offer, um, you know, led me to where I'm at now, where I've, I've found a good niche of being a contractor as a media buyer for other agencies, as opposed to necessarily fully running my own agency, which I have one, it's fine. Uh, most of my stuff is word of mouth and, so I work with a handful of agencies as a contractor, media buyer, and then some of my one-on-one -on -one clients are more like one-off projects and doing similar stuff of helping them get set up on their end to, to be able to take you know, control into their own hands. Uh, most people just don't, you know, there's a lot of barriers. It can be very easy to get into, but it's also a little bit more difficult to like, how do I understand this whole platform 
uh, that's in front of me. So that's a little bit of how I, you know, got into media buying of, um, you know, just going through the, the process. Paul, can you just, just so our listeners know, and maybe just so I know, how do we get from King of Pop to media buying? What was that sort of turning point for you? It seems like maybe two, two separate worlds. It, it is. Um, I think getting into the service space was very attractive because dealing with a popsicle business, I had these special machines to make the product, um, employees, all that. And, you know, the machine goes down. It's insanely stressful because you cannot create the product that you're been selling. And then also that business was very seasonal. And so... I was like, well, I, I love helping people. I love coaching people. And that, you know, that's what drew me to being a teacher in the first place. Mm-hmm. And what I saw with, with media buying, it's like, well, I can kind of be, take that teaching role, that coaching role, uh, but, you know, selling a service as opposed to a product and, and just, you know, getting into, I didn't even seek out necessarily to, to be in this place. But I was like, that's what I want to learn. I want to learn marketing. I, I want to learn advertising I mean, marketing was like, you know, one of you know, my major in college for whatever that's worth nowadays. Um, so I always had that interest of like, I want to see things grow. I love taking an idea, implementing it, seeing it grow or seeing it totally fall flat on its face. And that's what I loved about being in the position with King of Pops and then now with the media buying. So it wasn't necessarily like seeking it out, but like the knowledge that I knew I could gain by learning ads, by learning uh, marketing and all that to level up, to get to mm-hmm. be uh, yeah, where I'm at. Yeah, totally cool. And it almost seems like the best of both worlds, right? Like you're kind of, you have your entrepreneurial spirit. You're also kind of delivering on these really cool marketing projects and accounts. And, and then also like really kind of, we all know media buying is like a new thing every day too, right? So it's right. exciting. And yeah. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make you feel discouraged. When I went to PR school, there was also no digital marketing. (laughs) So you kind of learn it as you grow, right? Exactly. So in thinking of the the teaching part that you love, do you see yourself getting into teaching in this area or like going in that direction at all? Honestly, like more recently, yes. Um, That is a role that I've taken on with one agency that I'm with where they have a coaching program, like a, a kind of a high-end course that comes with a lot of coaching. And so I run uh, one of those calls once a week for two hours to help the folks who purchase the program just troubleshoot and brainstorm and, and overcome a lot of the challenges that we see. And uh, I'm loving that. So it's like, now I'm thinking like, hmm, how do I you know, find some more of these opportunities to work with folks and uh, help them through. And I think it's becoming more and more th- uh, the thing with masterminds and, and coaching, um, but it's a really cool niche that I've, I've found myself in. And in pre-pandemic, I, I ran a series of workshops locally of, of doing some trainings and just, it's one of those things where like, I don't need or want to make money from this. I just love doing it, putting it out there. And the natural result is just, you know, cool people making connections like within the workshops that I hosted, which was really neat. Now they're working together. Uh, so I want to do that more. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's so fascinating that just with Zoom and this whole digital world we live in that I can have these coaching opportunities, you know, nationwide or just people who, who knows where they're, where they're based in. Um, Worldwide. So We're cool. international right now, Paul. 
<laughs> we are international, aren't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, bridging the two, it's been it's been a really cool niche that I've, I've more and more getting into and then seeing how to uh, get more of these opportunities out there. It's great. Yeah, that's so cool. So what would you say, kind of coming back to the media buying role, what would you say your role looks like as a contractor running ads for agencies? Ooh, good question. Um, it definitely depends on the agency that I'm with and what kind of processes they have, what kind of needs they have. So one agency that I've been with for a year and a half now, I, I'm kind of like part strategist, funnel builder, copywriter, media buyer. I do a lot of different stuff and uh, I work you know, pretty directly with the agency owner and it's still more of a boutique type agency. We're a lot of dental clients, doing dental implants. So um, in that regard, you know, I'll, I'll manage the accounts, I'll create the accounts, create the funnels, some stuff we have templates for um, and I can just duplicate them and, and customize them. Others I might be building from scratch. And um, it, it's, it's fun because it's a lot of, it's the whole process start to finish and, and a lot of brainstorming and, and challenges, which sometimes can be stressful. It's very stressful when, when account just isn't working, but then also when it starts to turn around, you're just like, yes, did it. You can take uh, all the credit. <laughs> well, no, I was, I'll be like, yeah, well, I, did, I pushed a couple buttons and now it's working. <laughs> uh, and then, there, you know, there's another agency um, where all the processes are like very clear, very laid out. And I just go into the dashboard of Asana. Here's my tasks, and let me just knock them out. And um, and it, it's very different, but it still comes down. I can use skills from one to the other, kind of like cross pollinate. Uh, and and those are the two that I'm mostly with now. And some other ones early in the summer. It's interesting. Some folks are like, "Man, you you probably think we're like so disorganized and don't have our stuff together." I was like, oh, "You've got your stuff together." Like <laughs> that's one common thing is that every agency thinks that everyone else has their shit together, but everyone is always running off duct tape, like in the background, like, you know, the back end is kind of like, you just, oh, let's throw this together and get it out. But what the client ended up seeing is often is like very like neatly laid out, even if you don't, you know, feel like you have your stuff totally together. It's cool seeing behind the scenes in a lot of these places. Yeah, I agree. I hear that from a lot of agency owners. They're like, we definitely need help with client management, but like, we don't have any system set up. So do you want me to wait until I get that set up? I'm like, no, <laughs> nobody we'll has do it. No problem. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's, like, like, no, we, we have that system. You just relax. We'll take care of you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So when you're media buying and working your magic, Paul, what, um, let's just talk about the pros and cons. Like what's the best part? What's the worst part? I know, of course, Facebook can be a tricky platform sometimes, and maybe you actually work with other ones. I guess I, I know you from the Facebook world, but yeah, let's talk about kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of media buying. Sure. I'd say, well, the, we'll start with the bad. The bad is Perfect. you can be running totally smoothly and then some random algorithm update <laughs> or whatever, you just see it everything tanks. Now, the flip side of that is when you're surrounded by other people who do similar things. So I'm in a mastermind of all, you know, Facebook agency owners or media buyers or, or both. You get to get hear that feedback of, oh, this is like 
Facebook Live. You're like, okay, cool. Well, I just know it's it's not me, it's them. And you just kind of deal with it. So there's that unpredictability factor, but then also knowing that if it's effect, a lot of stuff that affects you is affecting everyone. So it's almost keeping everyone still at the same level. Um, and then also there's a little bit of inconsistencies with get ads getting rejected and you might have something like, this is like the best headline I've ever written and Facebook's telling me I can't use it now. And but that, that turns into the problem solving. So it's anything that, that is kind of a challenge. I find fun in that. Like if, if everything were just that easy, I would get like antsy and I don't know what I would do. Yeah. So the bad kind of blends in with the good. And, um, you know, the good is just getting that understanding of, of people and, and the marketing process and the buyer's journey, just how important everything is. A lot, I, I hear a lot of folks that just like vomit buzzwords and I do not like it. I'm like, yeah, totally. Tell me all the stuff, but what it comes down to is like, it's a human being going to be in front of that app and they do not care how smart and intricate your funnel is, your targeting is, um, you know, some cool software that you use to like hack the perfect keywords in Google or interest targeting in Facebook. It's, you got to make something that people want to see and you get that immediate feedback. So it's, it's a great way to take your ego out of it and just looking at the hard data. It's like, yeah, this, this headline that I wrote that I thought was killer People don't like it. Now I got to go Facebook on. Facebook doesn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's the, the challenges and all that that are there and getting that quick feedback loop to quickly get to um, the best result. I, I do not have an ego around it. And I mean, I think if I did, like you, I don't think anyone could last very long in, a, in any business ownership setting. And you can have, if you attach your, your ego to what you've written, what you've done, your strategy, you're going to get quickly knocked in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's almost like a meditative practice, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's challenges and overcoming them, which is growth. And that's, that's something I place a huge amount of value on. And that's why I love you know, doing all this stuff. Love that. <laughs> and I like the, the point you made about kind of just validating an offer using ads, like Katie, you always say this, like having people either click through or buy, or even just sign up for a freebie. Like it's just validating your business, your offer, what you have, what you're saying, your branding, everything. And it's, it's such a quick way to see results and see what's resonating with an audience. And I think that's a really cool part. And why we love working in agencies is because it's, it's data. It's not like, you know, that traditional marketing where you throw up a billboard and it costs $10,000 and you never see results from it. Like we are seeing immediate results, which is, it's really cool. And then when we're speaking to clients, it's, it's data, it's, here's the real deal. Like you're not getting results where you are and here's why. Yeah. Like the data can be good and bad all at the same time, right? Like when it's good, it's good. And then you're like, oh, tanking, I think was your word, Paul. So, um, yeah, but that's what I, you know, you just strive to do a good job and, and when it's so good that, you know, the numbers are just crushing it and you can report back to clients, that's such a good feeling. But then I think to your point, Paul, it also is a little validating on your end. Like I crushed that ad campaign, like doing such a great job or even, wow, didn't think that would work and look at everybody that likes it, you know? So, um, that's, I mean, that's such a huge part of the industry we're all in is just like, it's so data-driven, but um, can be your best friend, I guess, all at the same time. Yeah, it can. I mean, if you've got, 
the client that you've got a good relationship with, and let's say they come to you with an idea and you test it, you know, it's a new product or offer, come to them like, hey, I'm not, I'm not telling you this, but my personal opinion, I'm showing you the cold hard data. Exactly. So let's think of something new. And, and, and a lot of that is, um, you know, the relationship that is established with the account managers um, because, because that communication, that rapport, I mean, I, this rapport was like the biggest thing I learned teaching and then carrying into uh, my first business. Because if you, if you don't have that kind of rapport, the client's going to blame you. And, and then, you know, and maybe it's account manager to media buyer, like, Hey, what the hell's going on? Or y'all are trying to brainstorm it. But if, if that client's not receptive to it because that the rapport's not there, when you can present them with that data, it's it's a way to kind of soften that blow because no one likes to see their ideas fall flat. You know, anytime you're brainstorming, it's very exciting. It's fun to come up with business ideas. And the execution of them is a little bit more difficult. And then the execution of getting to a successful one is even more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of on that note, Paul, I know you and I, work together with an agency and probably you don't talk to as many clients as I do there, but do you ever talk to clients with the other agencies you're working with? Are you kind of media buyer slash client facing? And like, maybe um, just tell, tell us a little bit about if that's a role that comes together well, or do you see it as like very different sort of things? I see it as very different. And now you can, in certain cases, combine your media buyer as your account manager. Uh, so the, uh, the agency that you and I don't work on together, I, I am looped in with a lot of communication. I do hop on client calls, I guess in that in that role, it's like, oh, this is Paul, the strategist and funnel builder, not because I don't think they know really what a media buyer is. So right. when there are those cases that I have the direct contact with the client, it can lead to a good bit of efficiency now, what's interesting is that in this case, we, there is also a dedicated account manager for like the 10 to 12 clients we have. So it's like, I have to navigate to not necessarily undermine her in a way that the client will always go to me because it's, it's, it's establishing that line. So there is that, it's like, I save that time in that case of ads are ready. I'm shooting directly to the, to the client to get that, that approval. And then I can just go launch them. So cutting out that, um, line of communication in that instance is efficient. Now, but there are times when it would lead to inefficiencies because if that client's just come to me for like everything, I'm like, no, I, I can't answer these questions. And it's just taking up some of my mm-hmm. uh, bandwidth. Whereas, you know, in other cases where I have like hardly any communication with them, it lets me focus solely on their account and their results and I can do things without, you know, thinking, and I don't know if a lot of people are like this. I feel like it, it might be common. Like if I have that direct communication with the client, well, then anytime I make something, I might be thinking, will they like this? What's their response going to be? And then I'm going to have to deal with that. Again, it's like, I, I try to eliminate any like little bits of things that might cause me stress. Even if the cause of the stress is a completely illogical thought or unrational thought, because we all have very irrational thoughts. So having a dedicated account manager, I'm like, cool. Thank you. It's, it's a literal like weight off my shoulders. It is so stress-freeing. And I think it's a little bit, I kind of prefer that. Honestly. Yeah. 
it becomes quite personal too. You know, when, when you, if you're the one building the rapport with the client and you become best friends and then you're launching the ads and then they don't like it, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I did that. Whereas when you kind of separate those two roles, you, you get that, um, that line of communication is a little bit easier, like you said, and it gets less personal. Oh, this is a good thing to think about too, is that you can focus on what is working in accounts and what's going to deliver results rather than something like, is the client going to like this? Because we all know that that's not always what works, right? So Mm -hmm. it's good to kind of, and of course we think you're absolutely right, like keeping it separate. A, it's a time suck. B, those things are very different on what ad will work best for the business and make them lots of money versus what are they going to like, right? Absolutely. And and the other thing I didn't even mention is that, you know, how much the account manager is also uh, a project manager. And so when I'm, when I'm doing this stuff where I am more of that account manager, well, it's extra work of keeping up with the, you know, the communication, the task and and kind of delegating. And it gets it more into a realm that I don't necessarily mind being in, but again, it's, where's my core genius? What am I best at? And almost like, what am I here to do? Being in a position as an account manager in the past, it's like, you know, I got to not just communicate. I have to learn the nuances of how to communicate between the two sides, which you guys know and do very, very well, but also have to manage the person. Like, well, if if, the account account manager has got to make sure the client gets us what we need. Hey, we asked you for that thing a week ago. Where the hell is it? Not that you guys ever use I mean, yes, that's a direct email from my inbox because <laughs> <laughs> um, that all that all builds up and i think you know having those things in silos um makes it very very efficient now of course internally you you have that media buyer working with the account manager slash project manager and that's another you know relationship that has to be maintained because I mean, I don't have like, I don't have like bad working relationships with, with anyone, which is, I'm so grateful for. And I think at this point in my life with basically being an independent freelancer contract, it's like, I wouldn't put up with that. Like I can, I can easily leave, but um, you know, that, that can, that can have a massive impact on your work and how you get along with folks. And, you know, it, human beings are so unpredictable and irrational that again, you put that off on someone else. I'm just going to focus on getting results, focus on copywriting, focus on ad creation, uh, maybe it's offer validation, and then all the little data-driven points of looking at the ads to, to get the performance we want. Yeah, and I think that's good too, since we have the tools, we being, uh, you know, client account management people outside of dot, but all, you know, kind of account managers, we have these tools, we see these problems come up or even not, and we can communicate accordingly. Like it's our kind of zone of genius. And then yeah, let our media buying team do there. I can see how people, especially maybe in a smaller agency could like overlap these two roles, but I think it's really great that we're speaking to kind of why it might not always work. Yeah, it's, you know, I think the only reason why it works for me is because of my teaching experience. Mm. I know how to not take things personally, <laughs> not like 
interpret an email and then write back like in anger like I yeah, like two minutes later like fire off yeah yeah and, and a lot of time I'll see something like like and my my heart rate just skyrockets I'm like what is this and then let me breathe let me reread it from a different perspective or I'm going to intentionally shelf this and come back to it tomorrow mm. there's a lot of great practice self-discipline yeah. in that because like you know with teaching like you can't fire off an, an email to a parent who's pissed at you and then you go back at them. You got to be neutral, and it's it's a cool practice. Like I don't take it, like hardly anything personally. And when you can look at that with empathy and the, the communication from the client, you can respond with what they want and get them to the end goal. And so I was like, I'm going to ignore how you're talking to me now. Like off, of course, with limits. If they're being rude, we don't tolerate that. It's like let me get them what they want and leave leave the egos aside. But also like when someone is in tune with that communication and those nuances that are tough to pick up and are possible within emails, you can get that sense of, mm, I don't know if this client is too happy. So maybe I need to increase my communication or you can just have those indicators of where they're going to be as a dedicated person, where if someone's just kind of doing it, they might very well miss, up, miss out on those cues. And if you miss those cues and, and don't you know, get the client what they want when they need it and be what you need to be for that person, they're going to be the one, you know, a month and a half in and be like, yeah, this isn't working. And it's not necessarily because of the results. It's because they just don't like the relationship mm -hmm. where I've seen folks like when things do go bad, which is going to happen. They're like, I, I believe in you. I trust in you. Yeah. I know this is temporary. And, and if you can keep a client 10 months instead of a month and a half, it's a lot of money mm -hmm. that you earn without doing it all that much work. So that, that type of nuanced communication is, I, I don't know, like, again, I, I have a ton of experience working with people and taking things personally when people are like, why are you doing a popsicle? Like, are you dumb? Like, I got a lot of flack for that. Like the first like year or two, people be like, what, what is this? I'm like, dude, I'm out here literally trying to make a living and you're mocking my thing. It's like, I didn't have a lot of savings, like at all, all yeah. that savings went to it. So I was like, my, this is ride or die with this business. And so having gone through that, so it's just that people experience, which you guys have a buttload of, because that's what you focus on. And that's an, it's so valuable to people. So valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to take this off topic for one minute. Paul, what was the like fan favorite of popsicles? Like what, what always sold? Like what was the hot ticket? Um, chocolate sea salt and oh, I buy that. strawberry lemonade. We delicious not mad at it they're good i mean <laughs> i could give some tips like, we made them all from scratch and you know i could give some tips on, on how to make them i will say what was fascinating and we did we learned this organically is the flavors as a marketing tool because we we were known as like yeah we use local stuff or natural stuff everything's made from scratch mm -hmm. and we kind of categorize our flavors based on here's our top tier no matter what event these are going to sell through. Then we had a middle one, which could be hit or miss, but usually going to be more on like the, the good side. Uh, and then we had some that like, Hey, we're sitting on, you know, 200 of this flavor and we're going to have it for a while, like looking at inventory. And so it's like, well, let's make less of those, but make them be like really cool and inventive because we know that people are going to look at that and say, Oh, um, uh, banana coconut sounds interesting. I'm trying to think of a weirder flavor. We did like a, um, 
jalapeno peach or mango rose petal type of thing. Katie would have bought the rose petal. <laughs> uh, that is good. Like, rose, rose flavor is dope. So using, using those flavors as marketing tools, knowing that only the most diehard fans are going to buy them, but then the vast majority of the public are going to see that and think, this is a cool creative company. I'm still right. going to get the strawberry one, the very basic one, but that's cool that they have that. And so it's, that's that is, that's like even a waterfall into what you're doing now, right? Like it's kind of how all your worlds were and probably will continue to collide, which is really cool. Just like your mindset and your thought process. I agree. And I'm trying to see how to do that more. And, and a, the podcast is a, is a major part of that where like, I don't have a specific niche. It's like, I'm talking to business owners and entrepreneurs and I want to hear their journey. I, you know, I'm not trying to be a specific of, I want to, I want marketing owners to hear me because maybe they'll contract me out. That might be an end up, you know, positive benefit of it, but it's just like a, for lack of a better word, because I, it sounds kind of douchey. It's like a, Hey, look at me, look at what I can do. Uh, and, and I did a bunch of videos in the past. I did this, I'm working on this marketing rap music video. The only purpose is, well, primarily it's a cool thing. I like doing cool stuff. It's a creative outlet, but then two, it's like, this, this guy, Paul seems to be interesting. So it's like, I was just getting that intrigue factor. Like, is someone going to hire me to make a rap video for them? Yeah. Maybe, probably not. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, you know, you, you might just call that brand building, honestly. Exactly. Uh, that might just be the short of it. And I think if we can even bring this back to media buying, where you are now and how it's kind of giving you maybe these thoughts, these opportunities, and how people can learn from you. You are experienced in, yes, media buying, a lot of other things, which contributes to your knowledge and how you can kind of facilitate that help. I think you are by far my favorite media buyer there, I said it, but you are somebody who, when you work with, you know, when you work together, you're quite smart. You're very focused on sort of the end result, And obviously that's kind of a, a good practice, but somebody who's really, I guess, accountable for what they're delivering on. So how do you as a media buyer stay in your zone of genius? Like you spoke about, what are some of the tips and tricks that you do on a daily basis to kind of like narrow in your focus and say and stay in your lane? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and I'd be curious, you know, Katie Scott, because we've worked together. And so she, if, and I know you would do this, Katie, if, if you're like, mm, Paul's saying this, but I've seen an action that he's totally different. I would never. <laughs> that's not the case. Um, I think, I mean, having specific tasks and end goals in mind from the start is always a North Star because there's a lot of ways to get distracted um, and not even self-induced. Like I get distracted um, by my cell phone all the time, but even within business or, you know, a Slack channel, I think to do, I'm trying to do this. And then I get a, a Slack, someone asking something, well, then it's, I might be distracted. So part of it is knowing what am I trying to do here? And it's, it's so simple. It's just, I'm trying to get results for these clients. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what my focus is. Cause in a lot of ways, there are times when I kind of sort of maybe go out of my zone of genius or what I've been brought in to do. And that might be writing some copy when I wasn't asked to like, I, you know, we've got that proven copy that's, you know, like the agency has. And I'm like, 
hey, uh, here's some stuff that we can try. Let me know what you think. Uh, or coming with ideas. I'd rather be the person that like the agency owner is like, Paul, slow down, than be the one that they have to be like, like, can you do something, dude? Like you're right. just sitting there. Because I know what that's like as an employer with an employee. And some folks are like that. And there's nothing wrong. Like it's good to have someone that you can just depend on for these tasks. But there's other folks, and this is my entrepreneurial mind that like, I can't, I don't have an off button. Really don't. I kind of wish I did. Uh, and it's something I'm working on to be able to learn. Like, let me take like a full day off without checking my email. Yeah. It's very tough. It's hard to imagine. Yeah, it's so I, I, that's who I want to be. And that's kind of like a conscious decision, partially that I've made and have been working on to go further. But, but it's also, that's why I, I fit so well in this position than necessarily working at a company or something. There's a lot of other stuff that, that involved, but it's like, I'm just going to sit and write copy as like, you know, in my spare time or, or come to you with some ideas. If you don't like them, cool, that's fine. But I want to contribute more um maybe even than i'm taking it i'm not going to look at it, i'm like oh i'm getting paid x dollars for abc tasks well you're going to pay me x dollars for abc tasks and then you're going to get uh defg you know stuff, ah. stuff too so that, but i know at the end of the day it's i need to first do the tasks that i've been hired to do because there's nothing worse than asking an employee hey do these two things and like, Hey, Paul, I didn't do the things you asked me, but I did these other things. How amazing is that? And that concept applies. I, teaching is like a microcosm for business and management. In my opinion, no better platform to learn management as fast as you possibly can. When you have a bunch of teenagers who hate your guts and don't want to be there. So for, in, the, in the teaching world, you get students like turning an essay and you're like, you did not follow any of the directions. You gave me something like, and that's not valuable to me. So if, if I'm like only coming to these agencies, hey, check out these awesome ads I made and all this amazing ad copy. Well, did you optimize those ads? What, what's our lead? Oh, our cost per lead is high. Well, I don't care about, you know, it's, it's knowing the order in which to do stuff if you're going to do it. And then just, I don't know, I think, Katie, you kind of touched on this too, but just, I want to say, I just make a conscious decision. Like I want to be a good person to work with and bring a good attitude like everywhere. I know a little bit of a side story when I was doing that, the pop stuff, like I'm exhausted. I'm working 12, 14 hours a day for like months at a time. And then maybe I go to a coffee shop or go to a party, like rarely and, and interact and do and be social. And I'm like the mopiest dude. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, man, no one here knows that, you know, I've worked for, for God knows how many hours straight with no days off in the middle of the blistering summer, I'm exhausted mentally, physically. So hopefully, you know, they can forgive me for being mopey and just this, you know, wallflower just sitting there. And I thought like, no, like I can't walk around with a sign that says, hey, please be nice to me. It's not my true self. It's because of all these excuses that I have. And I'm like, I don't, it's like, I don't wanna, wanna be like that, you know? And, and I was for, for a bit. And, and, it, and I realized like, I, this sucks. Like, I, why would I want to interact with myself? Why would I want to, you know, why would anyone want to be around me? And so I just, I mean, it was a conscious decision. So I wanted to just bring that forward. And I, I, that's something, it's been easier being in a place that is fully aligned with my strengths and working with awesome people makes it easy. But I'm like, 
if it's just a Slack message, an Asana message, an email, no matter how I feel, I'm showing you my best version. And that I think is actually the true self as opposed to whatever temporary irritation or you know, even just being hangry might, I might have at the time because what it comes out is like, everyone deserves to see the best version of me. Um, and that's, and I, that's been a cool thing for me to latch onto. And I think that's like a really huge takeaway in the media buying world because media buying, you know, sometimes they're a little bit behind the scenes and they're not interacting even internally all the time. You know, they have a job to do and that's what happens. I always appreciate the other side. You know, you can do your job really well or you can just do your job, but it's always nice to have those people on your team and to have really great facilitators of, yeah, like business results, but also like, uh, yeah, not to be moping around or just like taking anger out on other people. We've all worked with that person that just like shows it in their face and just like, oh, you're clearly having a bad day. I've done nothing, but here, <laughs> here's all the work I need you to do. So it's, it can be difficult. So of course, I know I appreciate that. The best thing about Paul is he'll send you a Loom video because it's too much to type. And he's like, listen, like this is a long one. If you just, you know, want to speed it up, that's great. And I'm like, thank you, Paul. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I love them. Sometimes I might go overboard. Like, could I have made this into three sentences? But like, I need to show and <laughs> and then you just speed it up and you get the full picture. Uh, totally. Yeah. And we get your voice. I love that. You know, it's not like a keyboard, you know? So yeah. again, we can't thank you enough, Paul. Thank you so much for chatting with us today and being on the Happy Clients podcast. We definitely are encouraging everybody to go to Brain Week podcast, The Business of Being, and then learning everything about Paul and what he's doing in the media buying and digital marketing world. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a lot of fun. Paul, it's been so great catching up, learning how you've gone from pop schools to media buying and are totally crushing it. So thanks so much for coming on and can't wait to dig into your podcast. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You guys rule. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, Paul.